Let's open our Bibles to uh, the book of Proverbs, chapter 22. And I am determined to get through more than one chapter tonight, so hang on. Chapter 22, verse 1 says, A good name is to be chosen rather than great riches, and loving favor rather than silver and gold. And you're known by your name. There's a reputation that goes along with it, either good or bad. You know, to be honest with you, the people I look up to are some of the old-timers, the McGee's, Dr. Wolverds, Pastor Chuck, of course, and they just have a good name, and I just have a lot of, a lot of respect for them. There have been many, many years of staying the course, not compromising with, with truth, and uh, you're just left with that good name. The richest man at the time who wrote it said it's, it's more important than having the silver or the gold. But this, they had this in common. The rich and the poor have this in common. The Lord is the maker of both of them. And a prudent man foresees evil and hides himself, but the simple passes on are, and are punished. A couple of different ways of looking at, at this verse. Got a nice little um, handwritten letter from Gary and Audrey Kaw. They snuck in and snuck out. I didn't even get a chance to talk to, to Audrey and very little with, with Gary. And so he, he wrote me this um, letter of appreciation. Really impressed with you guys, with the fellowship here at Calvary. But when he got done with his message, uh, he, he did gravitate a little bit towards, with all the things happening, uh, what we would call preppers, or people who see the writing on the wall, things are getting pretty difficult, and say a night's time, electromagnetic pulse could happen, uh, which would pretty much take out our electrical grid, and it'd send us back to the 1900s real, real quick. So I'm not going to uh, make too many comments on this. There's people that think that the attitude should be, we're just going to trust the Lord, and that's what we're going to do. Others have taken some measures of precaution. Gary gave some ideas what might be prudent. And this is one of those verses right here. A prudent man foresees something coming, and he acts upon it. So if you, if you, want, a, if you want a verse from the Bible, there's another one that says... Uh, a wise man sees danger coming and prepares himself. So if you want to make it uh, a scripture to back up what Gary said, well, it's there. Um, other times, David would say, I'm not going to trust in horses or anything except, except the Lord. He's going to be our provider, and he's going to give us this day our daily bread. And having said all that, um, who says that we're not exempt from going through some real difficult times. Certainly a lot of our brothers and sisters right now are, are, are being martyred and killed. I mean, it's a natural crisis, a crisis in Syria right now, and um, they're closing the borders, and you look at some of these families and what they're going through, and all I can say is I have no problems. Somebody want to say amen to that? I mean, we've got it made here. We still have our freedoms. I can still go to the fridge anytime I want to and make me a ham and cheese. And, and um, we have no problems, not compared to what a lot of people are going through right now. But I have uh, not a whole lot to say about verse 3. You can, you can uh, uh, make your own family decisions when it comes to uh, what a lot of us see coming down the pike. Uh, but things are happening so quick, I just think the Lord's coming is that, is that much quicker. So, um, verse 4, and humility, by humility and the fear of the Lord are riches and honor and life. Thorns and snares are in the way of of the perverse, and he who guards the soul will be far from them. And this was our key verse, our text, um, on last Sunday, train up a child in a way he will go, and when he is old he will not depart from it. Um, Tied it into two aspects. One was uh, the the story of the prodigal son. Um, he was brought up by his godly father. Uh, he went through. We went through the stages of life, and I sort of got sidetracked and stopped on the adolescent stage. And um, God invented adolescence. And the reason I know that, if he didn't, there would be a lot of forty-year-olds still living at home. There's just this thing as, i got to get out of here, and I'm going to search things out on my own. And uh, I said it on Sunday, when you're 17, you know everything, and mom, dad knows nothing. 
And then you get to be in your late 20s and you're just amazed how smart mom and dad really were. (laughs) But, you know, the prodigal, when he hit bottom, he knew he could go home because he was brought up. And one of the points I made was if you don't have that foundation, if, if you're not trained and you hit the pig pen, a lot of people just check out. They have no hope. With no hope, uh, he had hope. His hope was all I have to do is go home and, and work with the hired hands. They got more than enough to eat. And he goes home and he repents and says, Dad, I've sinned against you and heaven. So there's the foundation he was taught about. We're going to read about it hereafter here tonight. So the importance that's there, again, I'm going to use it as a plug for the Wednesday nights. We're still in need. I'd like to do a rotating type thing so that's not a lot of pressure on just a couple people to help with our twos and threes. So investing in them. Please um, uh, consider getting involved so with that we can work it so it only has to be done once a month so you can be up here and, and take in the study. The rich rulers rules over the poor and the borrower's servant to the lender and he who sows iniquity will reap sorrow and the rod of his anger will fall. There are spiritual principles just like there's physical principles. The law of gravity works every single time. And uh, God has established in his order of spiritual principles that whatsoever a man sows, it'll come back on him. And that's what's being said here. Uh, He who sows iniquity is going to reap sorrow. That's just the way it's going to come back. Um, He who has a bountiful eye will be blessed, for he gives of his bread to the poor. Um, we're we're terribly blessed by our love and what the Lord is doing in in, um, um, in rural Haiti right now. We're making big headways to getting our water project going. And uh, during the prophecy conference, two thousand dollars came in for Haiti, and it's because people like you have a heart for the poor, and. Um, um, Haiti is the poorest uh, country in the Western Hemisphere. It's a light and day just going from the Dominican Republic over into, um, into Haiti. And the reason for that is one of the few things besides rum that they export is uh, charcoal. And in order to get the charcoal, you have to, of course, cut down the trees. So there, there's a lot of erosion that happens which affects, of course, the good quality of the soil, which affects, it's just a chain of events. They do have some uh, areas that are not too bad, uh, but one of the reasons that it is so poor is they just don't, they have to import um, pretty much everything. So giving to the poor, the old saying is more blessed to give than it is to receive, it's really true. Cast out the scoffer, and contention will strife. Yes, strife and reproach will cease. He who loves purity of heart and has grace on his lips, the king will be his friend. And the eyes of the Lord preserve knowledge, but he overthrows the words of the faithless. The Lord was always doing that. They're always trying to get him in a corner and um, overthrow uh, the creator of the universe, by playing little mind games with him. And he would put them in her corner really, really quick. The slothful man says, there's a lion outside, and I shall be slain in the street. Typical words of, of a person who makes excuses for not getting things done. Why isn't this done? Well, there was a lion outside in the street. You know, that goes kind of dangerous going out there when there's a lion out there. And a lion in the street just didn't want to go to work. He's lazy. And Solomon is just calling him out. Actually, we're going to end the study tonight with this very, very thought. If we get to chapter 24, again, it talks about being a hard worker. And, um, and, and if you are, yeah, you won't go hungry. Verse 14, the mouth of an immoral woman is a deep well, and he who is a horde of the Lord will fall there. And foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of correction will 
drive it far, far from him. Now, we, we touched on this on Sunday when we said, here's instructions on raising a child, and you have to teach them discipline. And I told you about mom's fly swatter or her wooden spoon or her really dangerous words, wait till your father gets home. Those were the threats in my household growing up. Um, there's this whole movement today where parents are trying to be friends rather than parents, and I don't agree with it. Parents need to be parents instead of their best friend. Somebody want to say amen? They have their own best friends. Your job is to raise them in, in the ways of the Lord and, um, and watch who they're hanging with. Watch the circle of friends that, that they have. But the whole idea of discipline here, when we applied it to our Heavenly Father and us being his children, we went to Hebrews chapter 12. And he says, which one of you parents don't discipline your kids? How much more will your Heavenly Father not chastise you? But then he says, don't get all bummed out about it if you get corrected. If you get uh, taken to the woodshed by the Lord, and um, he gives you good talking to, uh, don't go pouting about it. Man up. You know, you, he wouldn't do it unless you had it coming. Good time for an amen. He loves you enough to correct you. And he says, your, your earthly parents did it for their own pleasure. Just maybe just to, so he could watch the news in peace. Go to your room. Why? Because I'm trying to watch the news. <laughs> he does it for his own reasons. But Hebrews tells us that our Heavenly Father does it for our good. And so discipline uh, is greatly lacking today um, from the home to the classroom where, where uh, there's uh, so much disrespect in our classrooms today. There's no such thing as being sent to the principal's office anymore as far as I can tell. So... This whole idea of correction, foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of correction will drive it from him. Just wanting to do something bad. I remember being 14 years old one time and just felt like picking up a rock and throwing it through a window to impress my buddy. And I did. Picked up a rock, threw it through a window. We just laughed our heads off and took off. And we just uh, thought it was funny. What is it? It's foolishness that's bound up uh, in... <laughs> in the heart of, uh, of the youth. Bet you didn't know that one. I don't think I've ever told that one. But it just, just came to me, just popped in there. I think I was with my friend David Warby. Actually, there was a time I was with Warby. We did do it to a neighbor's uh, house. We got busted on that one. You want to hear that story? <laughs> I grew up with Dave Warby. He lived on Wright Street. I lived on Cherry Street. And we just wanted to get in trouble. So he didn't like the next door neighbor, so I said, let's take a window out. So he's watching us, he's watching us talk, and he's on the other side of the bush listening to this whole conversation. And he waited till we did it before he busted us. But we both got busted for that one. We both got in trouble for that one. We, he marched us right over to Mr. and Mrs. Warby's, and then he called my dad. I can't remember the consequences for that one, but I sure, I'm sure there was some. Verse 16, he oppresses the poor to increase his riches, and he who gives to the rich will surely come to poverty. Um, incline your ear and hear the words of the wise, and apply your heart to knowledge. Um, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. It all begins there. And if you don't have a, a healthy fear of the Lord, we'll read about that in just a bit. Um... um you're just not dealing with a full deck. When you understand everything that the scripture talks about and having this uh, heart applied to wisdom, Jesus says there's two types of people. He says, a wise man will hear my words. And he's going to go through tough times. He's going to go through storms of life. Storms are going to hit. But his house was built on a rock and it didn't fall. He says, a foolish man will hear his words and not do them and they're going to go through the same storms of life. No Christian is exempt from going through trials. None of us. But it all depends what you're building upon. If you're wise, Jesus said you'll listen to his words. So when the storms come, your attitude could be, I don't like this trial one bit. But 
My Bible says in Romans 8, 28, that he works together all things together for my good, even in the midst of it. So something bad is going on. I know the word of God, and he says somehow, some way, I'm going to work this out for your good. So the difference between that and having somebody who hears the word but really doesn't believe it is building your house on sand. And when those storms hit, then, you're, then your foundation is shaken. And so the words of the wise are what Proverbs is all about. For it is a pleasant thing if you keep them with you. Let them be fixed upon your lips. Verse 19, so that your trust may be in the Lord. I have instructed you today, even you. Have I not written to you excellent things? of counsel and knowledge, he's talking to his son. And the answer is an absolute emphatic yes. All these things that he has written, are they not good and are they not wise? Verse 21, that I may make you know the certainty of the words of truth, that you may answer words of truth to those who send to you. This is what... um, Jesus told Pilate about his truth. He asked him if he was a king. And he says, not of this world, or my men would fight. And he started talking about truth, and Pilate said sarcastically, what is truth? And it wasn't a sincere, a sincere question about truth. But he was looking at the way and the truth and the life. He was looking at the only way to heaven. Pilate had no idea. His wife had a dream the night before that Jesus was exactly who he claimed to be, and she tried to warn her husband. She says, don't, have, don't get involved with this man. I had a dream, and we do not want to bring judgment against him. Well, Pontius Pilate, that, that's what he's known for. But the irony of the, of the one who said he was the way, the truth, and the life Here's Pilate asking a question, what is truth? He was looking right at it. He was looking at truth. And yet he, he was weak in the knees. Um, he, was, he was more willing to please the crowd than his own convictions. This is one of the things about truth, that um, especially in these days, that you have to be your own man and you have to be your own woman. And you have to stand on what is truth. Truth is truth. It doesn't change. And so um, this is really what brings, I think, stability, especially during the hard times. We're going to get to a scripture tonight that says, if you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is weak. That struck me so importantly. I, got to, I cut it out and I put it on my desk, desktop. I thought, what a great scripture. He who faints in the day of adversity is weak. Verse 22, do not rob the poor because he is poor, nor oppress the afflicted at the gate. For the Lord will plead their cause and plunder the soul of those who plunder them. Make no friendship with an angry man, and with a furious man do not go, lest you learn his ways and set a snare for your soul. That's the old saying that um, you're known by your friends. Who, who are you hanging with? What's your circle? And... Um, That's how a person is known. Verse 26, do not be one of those who shakes hands in a pledge or one of those who is surety for debts. For uh, if you have nothing with which to pay, why should he take away your bed from underneath you? Now, verse 28, I'm going to spend a little time on, and it's going to be repeated again when I get to um, go to chapter 23, verse 10. It says, do not remove the ancient landmarks, nor enter the field of the fatherless. Now, chapter 22, verse 28, do not remove the ancient landmarks which your fathers have set. Whenever something's repeated, it's got my attention. <clears throat> In context, it's, it can be looked at two ways. When the children of Israel um, came into the land, they each receive a portion. All the different tribes, except the tribe of Levi, had borders that were marked. And inside these borders, let's just take the tribe of Asher, for instance, or the tribe of Dan or Ephraim. 
uh, they all had their land. If you were from the tribe of Benjamin, well, you were given a portion of land. And they were marked off. Most, most, most of your homeowners here, you know where the boundaries are. There's probably a stake driven. And you go, from that stake there to this stake over here, that's my property. And it runs so many, so far down, and it's marked off. They're called plots. And what's actually being said here is, do not remove the ancient landmarks which your fathers have set. In other words, if one of the family leaders dies, don't sneak out in the middle of the night and move the markers around. That's the literal sense of this. McGee, um, on the other hand, says, now I'm going to make a spiritual application for this. You may think I'm a square. Well, you know just how old uh, J. Vernon McGee is just by using that terminology. <laughs> and a lot, of, a lot of his applications that he's going to use are somewhat outdated because things are changing so exponentially fast as we have this spiral downward, it would have made McGee's head swim even more. But he says, I'm going to make some spiritual applications of this. You may think I'm a square when I say this, but I believe today we have seen the landmarks of the Christian faith moved. They have been removed by the so-called modernism, and now it's called liberalism. Uh, These folks with a liberal viewpoint say this old landmark, this doctrine that was taught in the days of the Apostle Paul is no longer relevant. We have learned so much that we don't need the doctrine of uh, the inspiration of the scriptures. We can do away with that, and we can do away with the doctrine of the deity of Christ. Uh, These distinguishing doctrines of the Christian faith have been pretty well washed out by a great many of the old line denominations on the basis that we've now come up to date. Now I want to say this, instead of moving forward and removing landmarks, we need to start moving backwards and get back to the ancient landmarks. So we want to say amen to that? I like it because his radio program was called Back to the Bible. That speaks volumes. And, um, and yet, the, the fact of the matter is, uh, our generation really doesn't value or see the importance of doing what you guys are doing tonight. You can be doing anything. But here you are, Wednesday night Bible study. We're, we're in the middle of the Bible, and we're going verse by verse through the Proverbs. And I commend you. And um, I think this simple principle needs to be passed on. And this is what I've experienced personally. After being brought up in the Calvaries and in in the Jesus movement, this is all I've ever really known. I was brought up in denominationalism, but I left that as soon as I didn't have to go anymore. But when I watch Christian TV, especially if I'm visiting down in Phoenix, um, or I'm listening to a topical study, once, once you've been reared in the verse by verse teaching, Eh, nothing, at least speaking for me personally, nothing else satisfies anymore. To me, it's shallow. You're just sort of, I, I like to call it um, a mile wide and an inch deep. I said, where's the meat to this? There's not a whole lot there. But uh, you can cover a lot of land, a lot of, um, well, Paul said it best. He said, I've not shunned to declare unto you the whole counsel of God. And I'm under the opinion today, unless you understand it, from Genesis to Revelation, you're not going to have a clue really what's going on today. You have to have a really good grasp of the Old Testament to really understand the New, especially as it pertains to the book of Daniel and the book of Revelation, the two most important books right now for the times in which we're living. So don't move the ancient landmarks. Spiritually speaking, we need to get back uh, to the basics of simple Verse by verse, chapter by chapter, teaching, and, um, and you will grow. You will mature. You'll go from a baby Christian, and you'll grow in, in the knowledge. You'll learn doctrine. And just the practical things of what we're talking about here in this study. Verse 29, uh, do you see a man who excels in his work? Well, he's going to stand before kings, and he will not stand before unknown men. Um, hard worker, um, gets a reputation as business grows, 
And he is, this is actually being commended here. Verse chapter 23. When you sit down to eat with a ruler, consider carefully what is before you. And put a knife to your throat <laughs> if you're a man given to appetite. Do not desire his delicacies for they are deceptive food. Don't overwork to be rich because of your own understanding because of your your own understanding cease. Will you set your eyes on that which is not? Well, we're talking about workaholics here. And um, um, not being able just to find a balance with your work schedule so that you have time for your family, prioritizing, seeking first the kingdom, that's all got to come first. And, um, but some people are just workaholics, and they, they will let their jobs trump fellowship, Bible study, uh, getting together with the brother, maybe dinner six. Um, and here the Proverbs are saying, don't overdo it with the work. Work what you, work what you have to do. Because the fact of the matter is, is in the next verse, for riches certainly make themselves wings. They fly away like eagles towards heaven. The old expression, I got holes in my pocket, put money in it, and you wonder where it goes. It's, just, <laughs> it's easy, to, easy to spend. Do not eat the bread of a miser, nor desire his delicacies. For he thinks in his heart, so he is. Eat and drink, he says to you, but his heart is not with you. The morsels you have eaten, you will vomit up and waste your pleasant words. Do not speak in the hearing of a fool, for he will despise the wisdom of your words. Do not remove the ancient landmarks, nor enter the fields of the fatherless. In our own movement, I'll just touch on this briefly. In the Calvary Chapel movement, there's a, a concern of compromising some of our what we call our Calvary Chapel distinctives uh, for the sake of uh, building bridges to people who, to be honest with you, aren't like-minded in any shape or form with, um, with the Calvary Chapel distinctives. It doesn't mean for a second you stop loving them as a Christian or um, even having fellowship with him or anything like that but not to the point where the potential of their distinctives, Calvinism is the big one right now in our movement, of making inroads into the influence that it might have on young people. This is one of the reasons I wanted Robert Cogden um, to be involved with our prophecy conference. He's very concerned about what's called the new Calvinism, making its inroads into um, uh, the Calvary Chapel movement. And um, it bothers me greatly. And um, that's a land, an ancient landmark that, that I don't want uh, moved in any way, shape, or form. So um, this was such an issue with Chuck that um, he, he addressed it several times right before right before he went to be with the Lord, one of his last pastor's conferences. And he just said, I just want to make it clear. We are not reforming our theology. Uh, we believe there's a balance between Arminianism and Calvinism. And that uh, the Bible teaches, yes, you're predestinated, but you're predestinated according to the foreknowledge of God because there isn't anything that God doesn't know. But it doesn't, exclude your free will, which a Calvinist says you don't have. A Calvinist believes that you do not have a free will, um, that you're predestined to heaven or you're predestined to hell. And of course, Dave Hunt's book sums that up really quickly, called What Love Is This? I found out today that was his wife's idea for the title of that book. So you can read the book, it's that thick, or you can just read the title and you'll get the same same idea. Where Chuck would make it an issue would be here. There's too many ifs in the Bible, where it says, if you continue, if you abide. In the book of Revelation, it says, I will, if you'll continue, then I will not blot your name out of the book of life. Well, what's that implying? Well, the possibility that it could be. So I could get really in depth in this. 
I've never, never met a true Calvinist that just doesn't like to argue. I can never really fellowship with him because if he finds out that I'm not a, in his camp as a Calvinist, then, um, and it really, uh, one of Chuck's biggest problem was is it takes away the drive and passion for missions. Why do it if you're already predestined to one or the other? So there's too many ifs in the Bible if you continue, I think, the parable of the sower and the seed, I have to ask the question, you know. The seed was sown, but then comes the devil and takes it out of his heart, lest he should believe and be saved. The second one, well, he received the word with joy and endured for a while, but in time of temptation, he fell away. Well, here's my question. Was he saved during that time, heard the word of God with joy? Was he saved during that period of time? And then he fell away during temptation. If I read it literally, I have to come to the conclusion, of course he was saved. He believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. He was full of joy. But then the trials came and whatever it was, it undid what was there. So I better leave it right there because I could really get sidetracked, except to say that um, it's an issue in our own movement. Um, don't worry about me. I ain't going anywhere. I'm about as old school as you can get, and I'm totally in the balance that that we have a track even written on it called Armenianism versus Calvinism, and it clearly states where we're at. So if you want to know more about that, we'll be happy to to get you um, our book. So my attitude: I don't want want to remove the ancient landmarks, nor enter the fields of of the fatherless. For verse 11, for their Redeemer is mighty and he will plead their cause against you. Now, apply your heart to instruction and your ears to words of knowledge. That's what we're just simply doing tonight, taking an hour and allowing God's word to speak to us. Do not withhold correction from a child. For if you beat him with a rod, he will not die. You shall beat him with a rod and deliver his soul from hell. You know what I'm not going to do? Change one word from what I just said. I'm not going to try to soften it up. I'm not going to try to explain it away. I just read verses uh, 14, 13 and 14, and I'm going to let them stand just for themselves. I think people can come up with creative ways of disciplining, and I think every family has their own ways, as mom and dad talk it through, how we're going to deal with little Johnny or little Susie. All right? My son, if your heart is wise... My heart will rejoice. Indeed, I myself. Ah, there's a proud papa. Yes, my inmost being will rejoice when your lips speak right things. A father who's proud of his son. And um, it went both ways. My dad was so disappointed. Um, <laughs> when I told him I was going to go to a, uh, live in a Christian commune and uh, work for nothing so people could go to Bible school for free. Uh, He was really disappointed. I actually offered me part of the family business at the time to try to talk some sense into me. And he wasn't proud of me at that time. But after he got saved, he saw the wisdom of it all, and he was very proud of his son for for making uh, that decision. But remember, the Bible says to to the natural man, Who's a natural man? A natural man is somebody who has not yet been born again. And you can speak till you're blue in the face about truth, about the word of God, and it's gonna go right over their head. Why? Because the Bible says they're, they're spiritually unborn yet. They're not even alive. So Paul says we speak wisdom among those who are wise. What does that mean? Well, I can have an intelligent conversation with any one of the guys that are on men's prayer and we'll talk about spiritual things, and they all get it because they're all born again. But have that same conversation, even talking about the Lord to somebody who isn't born again, and they're, they're simply not going to be able to understand it or receive it. But um, um, dad is, uh, this dad here, his heart is glad and is rejoicing because his son is listening up. He's receiving the instruction uh, from his father. Then he says, do not mix with wine bibbers or with gluttonous eaters of meat. 
And now it gets into um, the overindulgence of, of uh, hanging out with people. Um, all my friends were bar hoppers when, when I was uh, growing, growing up as a kid. And, um, or with uh, the glutton, they'll come to pro- poverty because that's all they live for. And drowsiness will clothe a man with rags. Listen to your father who begot you. And do not despise your mother when she is old. Buy the truth and do not sell it. Also wisdom and instruction and understanding. And the father of the righteous will greatly rejoice. And he who begets a a wise child will delight in him. And let your father and your mother be glad. And let those who bore you rejoice. My son, give, give me your heart. And let your eyes observe my ways. For a harlot is a deep well, and a seductress is a narrow well. She also lies in wait for a victim and creases the unfaithful among men. So now he's work, warning her about the, the ladies of the night um, and the oldest perf- profession literally in the world. You know... There is a, there's a, is it called My TV? Where it plays all the oldies, Bonanza, The Rifleman. Every time I watch The Rifleman, here is a classic movie of uh, Mark saying, Hey, Pa, I watched a Rifleman movie. The whole show was about the book of Job. I mean, from beginning to end. And at the end, uh, Mark is saying to his dad, You know, why did our cabin burn down? And dad just sits him down and he says, well, you know, son, Job didn't understand that either. And he told him the whole, I mean, the whole half an hour program was about the book of Job. And this verse right here of, uh, son, let, let me talk to you. And uh, here, here's Mark, you know, total respect for dad. And, and what he said, what Pa said, well, he listened. Verses 29 to 35 Who has woe, who has sorrow, who has contentions, who has complaining, who has wounds without cause, who has redness of eyes, those who linger long at the wine, those who go in search of mixed wines. Do not look on the wine when it's red, when it sparkles in the cup, when it swirls around smoothly, and at last it bites like a serpent and stings like a viper. Your eyes will see strange things and your heart will utter perverse things. Yes, you will be like one who lies down in the midst of the sea or like one who lies on top of of the mass saying, they have struck me, but I was not hurt. They have beaten me, but I did not feel it. When shall I wake that I might seek another drink? About a month ago, I was making my way to church and there was a girl not sitting on the sidewalk. She was sitting on the curb and she had her thumb out. And I thought, well, maybe she, she's uh, got a bad leg or something, and I, did, I really didn't know. So I pulled over, and she just popped right up, so she didn't have a physical problem. And I said, um, can I give you a ride? And she said, yeah, take me to the nearest bar. And I'm thinking, it's 10 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> and uh, it was literally less than a block away. She said, stop, I see one. And um, so here was a gal who couldn't wait to, uh, I said, are you sure this thing's going to be open at 10 o'clock in the morning? And, and uh, the reason I knew it was is I just watched the guy w- go in. And um, she said, see, it's open. So I, I gave her a, a less than um, a half a block ride. Um, evidently, she didn't know where one was, and she was out to find one. And it was 10 o'clock in the morning. So when I awake, that I may still seek another drink. First thing that came to mind in the morning. Chapter 24, do not be envious of evil men, nor desire to be with them, for their heart devises violence and their lips talk of troubling. Through wisdom, a house is built, and by understanding, it's established. By knowledge, the rooms are filled with all precious and pleasant riches. So again, what I, the take on this one is, um, Jesus said how hard it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. It's easier for 
a camel to go through the, the eye of a needle and for a rich man to enter, the he, enter into heaven. And, and um, the reason for that is they simply have access to more, I think, temptations. But having said that, um, here's David, a man after God's own heart, and when you read about his house, he was convicted. He says, I live in this beautiful house of cedar, and the Ark of the Covenant of Israel is behind this tent. And it was David's desire to build one of the most beautiful structures that the world has ever known. The Lord wouldn't let him do it, but Solomon did. Now imagine this. The wealthiest man in the world, the wisest man in the world, and I mean literally the wisest man in the world. Unlimited resources and uh, unlimited wisdom. Through wisdom a house is built and by understanding it's established. By knowledge its rooms are filled with all precious and pleasant things. David was a man of war. But when Solomon came to the throne, there was peace all around. The Bible says that Solomon made Silver like stones in Jerusalem. There was so much wealth going around. Um, I believe Solomon's, what they called the first temple, Solomon's temple, was probably one of the most beautiful buildings ever made. The inside was overlaid with, uh, with, with gold. And um, there's nothing wrong with riches uh, it's the love of money, right? That's the root of all evil. Nothing wrong. Money is amoral. You can use it for good, or you can use it for bad. Good time for an amen. Yeah, but you see, when you're studying the Bible, the Bible puts it in perspective. Nothing wrong with it at all. But the thing of it is, if you really love the Lord, then you're looking for ways to actually further the kingdom. And quite frankly, that takes money to do it. So who owns who? Does your money own you or do you own your money? That's the bottom line. And are you really, do you see what you have as just being a steward over what the Lord is giving you, including your kids? You know, the Lord loves your kids more than you do. You know that? And that they've been entrusted into your life for just a period of time. And that dash between the, you know, when we do the service here on on Saturday for Barb, there's just going to be her birth date, then there's this dash, and then 2015, and the date. And uh, life is a vapor. I can't wait to get to Ecclesiastes because it shows the futility and the vanity of everything. Name it. And he says, the more you know, the more frustrated I am. That's what Solomon's comments was. And so nothing wrong with a nice house. If you're smart, you'll know how to decorate it nicely. That's what it's saying here. Verse 5 A wise man is strong. Yes, a man of knowledge increases strength. For by wise counsel you wage your own war. And in a multitude of counselors there is safety. Now I'm going to take off on this one and have you turn to 1 Kings chapter 12, 1 through 13. So let's go back to 1 Kings chapter 12. The verse is, in a multitude of counsel there is safety. That just means it's good to bounce things off people. Hey, what do you think about this? And I need a decision here. And the idea is go to people you respect in the Lord and say, hey, give me your two cents worth on this. What do you think? Well, when Solomon, when Solomon died, uh, he had a son, Rehoboam. Let's pick it up and we'll read uh, verses 1 through 13. So Solomon dies at the end of chapter 11. Now Rehoboam went to Shechem, for all of Israel had gone to Shechem to make him king. And so it was when Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, heard it, he was still in Egypt, for he had fled from the presence of King Solomon and had been dwelling in Egypt. And they sent and they called him, and then Jeroboam and the whole congregation of Israel came and spoke to Rehoboam, saying, Your father made our yoke heavy. Now, therefore, lighten the burden and the service from your father for his heavy yoke, which he put on us, and we'll serve you. So he said to them, tell you what, depart 
give me a couple days to think of it, come back. And so they did. Everybody took off for three days. And now he's going to get counsel. Then King Rehoboam consulted the elders who stood before his father Solomon while he was still alive. And he said, how do you advise me to answer these people? He's looking for wisdom in a multitude. And they spoke to him and said, if you will be a servant to these people today and serve them and answer them and speak good words to them, they'll be your servants forever. But he rejected the counsel which the elders gave him and consulted the young men who had grown up with him who stood before him. Now these are his buddies, the guys that he grew up with. And the bottom line, I think they're looking enough for a position. I think they got alternative motives. And he said to him, well, what counsel do you give? How should we answer this people who have spoken to me saying, lighten up the yoke which your father put on us? And then the young men who had grown up with him spoke to him and says, thus you should speak to the people who have spoken to you saying, your father made our yoke heavy, but you make it lighter on us. Thus you will say to them, my little figure shall be thicker than my father's waist. And now whereas my father laid a heavy yoke on you, I'm going to add to your yoke. My father chastised you with whips. I'm going to do it uh, with, uh, with scourges. So Jeroboam and all the people came to Rehoboam the third day. And the king directed him, saying, come back to me on the third day. Then the king answered the people roughly and rejected the counsel which the elders had given to them. And he spoke to them according to the counsel of the young man, saying, My father made your yoke heavy, but I will add to you to your yoke. My father chastised you with whips, but I will chastise you with scourges. So the king did not listen to the people, uh, for the turn of affairs was from the Lord, that he might fulfill his word, which the Lord had spoken from Ahijah, the Shilohite, to Jeroboam, the son of Nebat. So, Let's go back to our Proverbs where it says there's safety. Uh, Verse 6 to 24. For by counsel will you wage your own war and a multitude of counselors there is safety. Well, because he didn't listen to the wise old men, there was a revolt. Jeroboam took ten tribes and went to the north set up two golden calves, one in Bethel, one in Dan. And he says, you guys don't need to go to Jerusalem to worship. Um, They came up with their own priests. And um, the kingdom was united under Saul, David, and Solomon. But because of not listening to wise counsel, now you have a divided Israel. Ten in the north that fell into idolatry, and in 7, 10, 20 B.C., they were conquered by the Assyrians. And I talked about this a couple Sundays ago. They left some of the Assyrians back into Israel. They intermarried, and that's how we got Samaritans. And then it was only a matter of time that the southern two tribes fell, uh, but not to the Assyrians, but to the Babylonians. And I think the point that I made on Sunday is they both fell, both the king of Babylon and the king of Assyria that took the ten northern tribes, both of them fell in about a day. Because when they were about to take the two southern tribes, Isaiah was the prophet at the time. That's when they built Hezekiah's uh, tunnel. And uh, Isaiah said, don't worry about it. It's not going to happen. And in one night, one angel took out 184 of the Assyrians, and it was pretty much the end of the Assyrian Empire. Um, the king goes back to his, ho- his own home, and they kill him. End of the Assyrian Empire, beginning of the Babylonian Empire. I could get really sidetracked on that, but I can't, because I am going to finish chapter 24 tonight. Verse 7, wisdom Wisdom is too lofty for a fool. He does not open his mouth in the gate. He who plots to do evil will be called a schemer. Everybody knows a schemer. The devising of foolishness is sin, and the scoffer is an abomination to men. 
And here's, here's just a great scripture. If you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is small. You go through a trial and you say, enough. It's too hard. I don't want to do it. It's like, it's like that second one that the time of temptation came and because he wasn't rooted and grounded, his faith was undone. You need to be told straight up, being a Christian is difficult. Somebody want to say amen to that? Walking the narrow road is called narrow for one reason. And few there be that find it. Broad is the gate and wide is the gate that leads to destruction and many will be that find that. You need to know that straight out because you need to know that um, true born again biblical Christianity, we're in the minority. And we will always be in the minority. Especially um, as the time goes on and on, there's uh, pastors are willing to compromise. 1,500 pastors check out every month. That's a stat across the country. And um, I sort of liken it to the mom and pop grocery stores that we grew up with being taken over by a Walmart. And um, guys that have been faithful in the ministry, staying the course, just can't keep up with the mega churches, And a lot of them just give up. And to me, it's, it's a tragedy, but... It's uh, something that's very, very true in our country today. He who plots to do evil, oh, we already did that. Um, so don't fade in a day of adversity. Um, God's word said men ought always to pray and never to faint. So if you're going through a tough time, hit your knees. That's exactly what the Lord did when he was facing the most difficult moment of his life, Gethsemane. Gethsemane means crusher, crushing. That's where the the olive uh, crushing took place, the Garden of Gethsemane. And what he was concerned about is having the guys pray with him. Our strength is is in in our prayer life and having a good walk with our maker. And you won't faint in a day of adversity. Deliver those who draw towards death and hold back those stumbling to the slaughter. If you say, surely we did not know this, does not he who weighs the heart consider it? In other words, the Lord, uh, the Lord knows everything. He who keeps your soul, does, does, does not he know it? Is there anything that the Lord doesn't know about us? Of course not. And he will not render to each man according to his deeds, question. In other words, you reap what you sow. If you're um, gonna be, um, you know, um, have an attitude with, with somebody and it's not right as uh, you're quenching the Holy Spirit, well, expect it to come back on you. Again, the spiritual principle of reaping what you sow. I like this. My son, eat honey because it's good. And, and the honeycomb, which is sweet to your taste. I love English muffins toasted with peanut butter and then a lot of honey on top. Ooh, it's good. So I can identify with this. So shall the knowledge of wisdom be to your soul. If you have found it, um, there is a a prospect, but your hope will not be cut off. You know, when all is said and done, you can go through your trials. Uh, What does 1 Corinthians 13 say? When all is said and done at the end of the day, what do you still have? Faith, hope, and love. Nobody can take that away from you. Do not... Lie in wait, O wicked man, against the, the dwelling of the righteous. Do not plunder his resting place. Now, an interesting verse here, and I will not be dogmatic about it, but I've thought about it for many, many years. For a righteous man may fall seven times and rise again, but the wicked shall fall by calamity. And one way that I've always looked at this is that on your best day of your life, the best day you ever had your whole life. This could be implying that on your very best day of your whole life, you've at least blown it seven times in thought, word, or deed. Now, I'm not going to be dogmatic about that, but um, in different translations, that's sort of the implications. And, um, and, and, rise, and rise again, but the wicked shall fall by calamity. Do not rejoice when your enemy falls. Um, we're... We're to pray for our enemies. That's what the Bible teaches, and not to rejoice over them. I'll tell you what it makes me think of, though. 
I think of all the dancing in the street that was taking place in the Middle East when 9-11 hit. And um, when, when that happened, they were rejoicing. Here 3,000 people had just died and they're dancing in the street. And, um, and do not let your heart be glad when he stumbles. Lest the Lord see it and, he's dis- and it displeases him. The Lord loves mercy. And um, one of Chuck's Chuckisms was uh, always erring on the side of grace. If you don't have all the facts, you don't have all the information, you're not sure what to do, err on the side of grace rather than the other way around. Verse 19, do not fret because of evildoers nor be envious of the wicked for there will be no prospect for the evil man and the lamp of the wicked will be put, put out. My son, fear the Lord and the king. Do not associate with those given to change. Oh, that's interesting. What political campaign have we ever heard that doesn't use that word? Change. We're going to change everything and everything's going to be better. For their calamity will rise suddenly. And who knows the ruin those two can bring. These things also belong to the wise. It is not good to show partiality in judgment. Be fair. He who says to the wicked, you are righteous. Him the people will curse. Nations will abhor him. But those who rebuke the wicked will have delight and a good blessing will come upon them. He who gives a right answer kisses the lips. Prepare your outside work, make it fit for yourself in the field, and afterwards build your house. Do not be a witness against your neighbor without a cause. In other words, don't go making up things that aren't so. You should, uh, you, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, for would you deceive with your lips? Do not say I will do to him just as he has done to me. Um, and I will render to the man according to his work. Well, that's what the Lord taught us. If somebody smites you on the right cheek, turn to him the other one also. If he asks you to go a mile, go with him too. And by doing so, you're blowing their mind because that's not what they're expecting. You're different. You know, I expected you to smack me back. And you're turning the other cheek. Uh, what's with this? I don't get this. And you're getting their attention. I went by the field of, of a slothful man by the vineyard of a man devoid of understanding, and there he was, all overgrown with thorns, because he was lazy. Um, Its surface was covered with nettles, its stones were broken down, and when I saw it, I considered it well, and I looked in it, and I received instruction. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and so your poverty will come like a prowler, and you will want like an armed man. Remember I told you we started with uh, <clears throat> Solomon is definitely a man who had a good work ethic, and uh, he's trying to instill this in, into his son. Uh, whatever your job, and I'll leave, leave you guys with this thought tonight. Are you considered a good worker? Um, and are you considered in your place of employment your boss says, you know, he's one of those crazy Jesus people. But, you know, he's the best doggone worker I got in the whole plant. So what can I say? And hopefully um, um, that's the way they're thinking about you and um, considering you. And if we can take that much out of the Bible study tonight, we'll have um, been feasting on God's word and gone out with a little bit more knowledge to add to our faith. Amen? Stan will close in prayer. Lord, we made it through three chapters tonight, and I praise the Lord for that. Lord, bless your word as we've taken it in. Thank you for your promise that if we'd sow the seed into man's heart, that it will not return void, and it will accomplish that what you want it to. So, Lord, whether it was uh, an admonition of something that we read tonight, Lord, help us hold on to it. And um, as it instructed us, be wise enough to receive it and um, to seek out counsel from those that 
maybe are wiser because of their years. And Lord, help us not be looking to move landmarks, but to um, stick with this book where you say you change not, that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. And we are so grateful for that. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.